Hey, Brad, you know what I've been doing today? Um, running down the beach with uh, weights on your feet? No. Stuck on YouTube watching you play music in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend anyone listening to the program right now that they go ahead and Google the goops, some of their videos, especially this one show at the wetlands in like 95. Brad over here, platinum blonde, Billy Idol hair. He's got some kind of like pink silky shirt buttoned all the way down to here. We got like full rock and roll chest out. <laughs> you got sharp pants with like a white line down them. So you got moves. You're working the stage. Oh, I You're love all those over pants. the place. Oh my goodness. You were something else. You know what? I think that Wetland show was actually our record. We had like a two part record release party. Okay. And we played a show there and then we went over to Don Hills and did like a late after party. All I remember from the wetlands in those days is uh, like hippie jam bands, like the disco biscuits and shit like that, doing those all night things. And then like those 16 and up shows they did on the weekends, those hardcore shows. I came in one time to see Endpoint and Falling Forward at the wetlands. And I was like 15 and I'm at the door. And they're like, it's 16 up to get in. I looked like I was 11. So, but I, I'm sitting there arguing with the guy. I'm like, yeah, I'm 16. He's like, prove it. I'm like, I'm from New Jersey. I couldn't fucking prove it to you anyway. You don't get a fucking 16 year old ID. What is this random shit you guys are doing here? You know, that was a fun place though. I also once well, it was, was mostly hippie bands, but yeah, every yeah. now and then they'd have a hardcore show. I remember seeing like Murphy's Law there and like, um, yeah. but you know, that story, there's a second part to that. Was that okay. like when we went to Don Hills? Yeah, for the second part of our record release party, which was supposed to start at like midnight or something. Like you didn't go there before, you know, midnight anyway. Right. But Ian Asbury, the singer of the Cult, yeah, was on stage. They he was doing a show with his solo band, and he wouldn't get the fuck off the stage. <laughs> Like he had gone, they were supposed to be off already. They'd either, I don't know whether they'd gone on late or whatever, but like, and this is testament to Don Hill, RIP. God bless him. I love that man. He kicked him off. (laughs) He did. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. He said, he finally said like, guys, you got to get off the stage. That's gangster. And there was like people there. There was people there to see him. I think it was like a secret show. Maybe it was like a label show or something, but there was still like, there was probably, you know, 150, 200 people there. True New Yorkers give no fucks, Don man. Hill, no man. fucks. I love, I love Don. Uh, so I mean, we sad. even talked about it in that interview we just did, those those classic old New York City bars from the 80s and 90s that, that the punks could get down at. Those were some wild places, oh, yeah. man. The, your Manitobas. And when, when did Niagara open? In the 90s? Niagara opened, I think, in 98. I think 98. Yeah. And you were still just young and platinum blonde and handsome when this was all going on were you just ripping around the city at that well i was playing with johnny the one of the owners oh he had a band called clowns for progress that like oh yeah i remember that they had worn clown makeup and then the band kind of broke up and they wanted me to join i was like i'll do it but i can't wear clown makeup and we did some good we were like one of those bands that was like every like every band's favorite band you know like bands would love to take us on tour because we were just like a party band so like right, we right, toured right. with like the Boss Tones and with uh, like we did Warp Tour just like a week or something with Warp Tour, um, 
Lagwagon took us out. That was when we did the shows with all. It was with the Lagwagon oh, right, right. Lag tour. Now, tell me a little bit about this style I was looking at. Like, what? who were you emulating? Like, what, what was your... What were you going for? So, here's what I loved about New York in the 90s. Was Again, that- anyone listening, please <laughs> Google the goops at the wetlands in 1996. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. What, so, what, you know what I loved about New York was like, there wasn't, outside of hardcore, there wasn't really a scene. Like, there was a collective of bands that we all like played together and we all loved each other, like D-Gen, you know, um, Jesse's There band. wasn't like a punk scene. Yeah, there wasn't even like a real collective. Like, we all kind of played the same venues and we would go to each other's shows, but there wasn't like a real unifying thing. But except that a lot of the bands kind of, and I think this is a New York thing, kind of really liked glam, you know? So we right, had like Space right, right, right. Hog and D-Gen were fully kind of a glam, like rock band. Sure, sure. And we definitely, I was into it, man. I was like, you know, I was a old punk rocker, but I just, I couldn't get with the old ripped t-shirt look, even though that was exploding all over again at that point. Right, right, right. So I uh, dressed it up a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> well, that was our record release. I was a little more, I was a little flashier there. No, I respect it, man. I've been like basically painfully underdressed my entire life. And one thing I have realized is, you know, you know, if you asked me when I was younger, I would have been like, you know, I want to be judged for the merit of my work. You know what I mean? For what I'm putting out there, for my character, for things like this. And, you know, I didn't quickly learn, but learned eventually that all these things that people I deemed corny sometimes, in all honesty, were doing were, like, not only totally necessary, but also part of, like, a part of the thread I didn't really consider until I got older. Maybe until I met my wife, because she's so into fashion and and the thing I think I didn't understand about punk fashion was the not only the iconography, but like the statement you were actually making, you know, by putting on those things, right. by being a little more effeminate, by being, you know, uh, in those days, especially it's, well, it was so- actually like is making a statement and it was part of the culture. I I guess I was a little naive in the idea that I thought you were just completely, you know, uh, uh, recognized on the kind of the output of your work and what people were seeing and how they were receiving it wasn't nearly as important. And in reality, the people who present it a certain way and are actually really good to boot are the ones who put themselves in the best position. But speaking of that, we were kind of in a way not rebelling against, but pushing ourselves apart from the West Coast bands. Uh, Even right. though, like, the Goops sure. ended up doing tons of tours with all, I mean, we pretty much toured with all West Coast bands. But, you know, that was back when everybody was just wearing shorts and, t- and baggy t-shirts. Yeah, sure. No, it's definitely New York. Very New York. <laughs> well, you look great. So anyway, we had Ben Wyman on. The great Ben Wyman we had on for this interview. Somebody who did not harness a glam style <laughs> through his career yeah, in the least. Not at all. But also used other powers of uh, persuasion to make him the most punk rock guy ever. So something I didn't talk about this in the interview, because I thought it would, you know, uh, allude to some nepotism or something like that, is the fact that for all these years, most of the news I ever got for, about Ben Weinman came from my Aunt Judy. 
And it's a pretty random connection. My Judith Kaufman, my aunt, is a doctor in psychology, and she's one of the department heads or the department head at uh, uh, at Fairleigh Dickinson University in New Jersey. And it turns out, dating all the way back to, I believe, like the 80s, she's been colleagues with Ben Wyman's dad, who has been an academic and a teacher and then also, you know, like the head of the humanities department and things like this. You know, real higher up. And now I even think he's a dean of one of the schools. And, you know, my aunt was also, uh, you know, a higher up academic at this college and they knew each other for a long time. And the funny part about that is, you know, I knew Ben from around the way, but he, he was from the Morristown area. It was about an hour north from me. And if, you know, we weren't at a show or something, you know, I, I, I didn't see him that much. We didn't keep in regular touch. But I liked Dillinger. I always followed him. But most of the news I would ever get from Ben would be on the phone with my Aunt Judy being like, did you hear that Ben Wyman <laughs> broke his collarbone in Austria? Did you hear that Ben Wyman dropped the guitar on his foot and did this? This I'm like, nah, Aunt Judy, I didn't hear that. Like, what are you talking to his dad again? She's like, yeah. <laughs> so for years and years, I would kind of get these updates from Ben from from uh, his dad via my aunt. And then, you know, once Gaslight started kind of hitting the festival circuit and stuff, that's when, you know, we wound up playing with Dillinger Escape Plan and kind of winding up in the same the same world. Even though I knew him from New Jersey, I... Uh, That's pretty hilarious. You know, I, yeah, yeah, we didn't know each other that intimately, you know, through music. So, you know, we've reconnected later in life, like, through the years. And I think that's almost part of the reason is, you know, we had this, this bizarre family connection the whole time. So FDU represent. And big ups to my Aunt Judy. Actually, she's part of the concept for some bonus content that i've been thinking about doing because she's a funny lady get her on man <laughs> Let's get her on. <laughs> this ben interview is fun because i always feel like ben just has a very unique perspective on things he's like you know even though he doesn't play punk rock that dude is fucking punk rock you know it's like if a hundred people are doing one thing he wants to find another way to do it and i completely respect it musically and business-wise And I think he has a lot of interesting things to say. And I think there's a lot of, you know, lessons to be learned for people on how to kind of maybe flow with life a little bit, (laughs) you know, telling us this story about how he picked up that animal sanctuary and just kind of rolled with it and let life kind of determine it for him without without putting up any roadblocks. It's a good lesson to to keep, you know, go with the flow, man, go with the flow. (laughs) So I'm sure it took a lot of practice for a, uh, Jewish guy from North Jersey to learn how to go with the flow because, you know, we're a little neurotic sometimes. But, uh, yeah, I think I think that was a, a great lesson to take from what Ben said. And I think that's what we start this interview with. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the animals. It's going on <laughs> you know what? I still have the carcass of your of your uh, of your Christmas tree. What? I, I still have the carcass of your Hanukkah bush. Uh, <laughs> you know, hanging out back of the animals. I can't bear to throw it out, so they uh-huh. just kind of scrape their use it as like a scraper scratcher. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so they they chomped all the pine needles off and it's, then just oh, left it's the been rest? long gone. It was gone in like a day, and now now they just kind of like rub against it and get sexy with it. 
Oh, I'm so happy that I'm part of the natural circle of life on the Absolutely. farm. Absolutely. Well, you're getting another one next year. Oh, cool. So Very for good. Some, for some context, anyone tuning in, Brad, you there? Yeah, dude. Are we on? Are we on the air? Are, uh, are, well, you're. Recording, I've been recording right? since Benny came on. Yeah. Yeah, it's how we go, Ben. Gotcha. We just we just dig right in. We think it's fun. This is how we do it. Yeah. Um, so for some context, I had seen. You know, I knew. We'll talk about it further in the interview, but I knew that Ben had had an animal sanctuary and was doing that work. And he made a post uh, showing his animals, uh, mostly the goats, uh, digging into a Christmas tree. And, you know, I like begrudgingly have been doing Christmas for years. I, you know, <laughs> like, like I like Santa Claus. I like presents. I even like trees. You know what I mean? But like. There is still some Jewish guilt about getting into it. Of course, of course. And, uh, I'm in the same boat. You know? Yeah, and as much yeah. as I like to embrace it, there's still that, like, you know, I, I imagine some old people in a shtetl somewhere just being like, what the fuck you doing, man? Um, yeah, like, we, 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 we our, our people died for this right yeah. to, to freedom of religion. And yeah, now not, yeah, not even that long some, ago, pal. And then all it takes is some vagina and a few kids to ruin all of it. To just- <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Move to this capitalist enterprise, eat some McDonald's, have sex, and all of a sudden you're not all of a Jewish sudden, anymore. All of a sudden you got Santa Claus coming to town. <laughs> so, but one of the things that bums me out the most always is like, I, I just hate cutting down a tree and letting it rot and die in your house. It just feels mm. strange and anticlimactic. Yeah. And every time I throw it out, I'm like, well, that was a bummer. That was like a perfectly healthy young tree I just murdered to, you know, dress, <laughs> to dress it up for a couple months and. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and then put it outside. And then I imagine the millions and millions of trees that that's done to. So when I right. saw Ben feeding the the pine needles in the tree, I, I hit hit you up immediately and was like, hey, could take a family trip down to the farm yes. and, uh, and feed the tree. So I cut it into many pieces, threw it in the back of uh, my dad car, shoved mm-hmm. the kids in and came to Ben's animal sanctuary and fed it to the goats. There you have cool. it. I enjoyed my day greatly. <laughs> Very good. It's a lovely pa- and and you should know you're that day out there in the country has helped us, you know. We might be coming out to the country soon. I might be your neighbor before you there know you, it. You know what? The house next door is going is for sale. It's going for sale. Wait, the one with your with your wacky neighbor? Yes, which bums me out so much. Yeah, she's but a real trip. What what's, she what's is. <laughs> she's leaving in August. Uh, what was the story with her? You moved in and she just kind of came with the property, right? Well, it was funny because um, when we first saw the house, my wife was just like, this is it. I want it. And I'm like, you know, like in front of the real estate agent. I'm like, Shh, <laughs> you know, like, hey, not so quick. So I immediately had to start coming up with negatives in order to counter sure. the obvious excitement, you know, before, yeah. <laughs> before even trying to, you know, negotiate anything. Yeah. And um, I said, well, there's a house. It's like right on top of us. Like, I don't really want to live that close to a neighbor. You don't get right. this many acres sure. to have to like stare at somebody and they're going to be annoying and looking at us and whatever. It's true. Which was true, you know? Yeah. At any rate, um, we moved in and it ended up being this lovely lesbian couple, ex-bikers, rock and roll singers uh, who run a cat sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> Vegetarian, like... In the middle of like you know the most conservative farmy area in New yeah, Jersey, yeah, yeah. it's pretty much like uh, this. You know, half our street is the is the property of of these two houses, 
which are like the most crazy, wackiest people probably in the entire town, you know? It's pretty serendipitous oh, that you found, yeah. you, you found some, you know, because as you say, you know, I know that area, like the, there's a good chance you might wind up next to someone with a, uh, let's just say a different set of morality. Oh know? yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> I hear guns going off every day. There's hunting everywhere. I've got like deer, um, towers on my lawn and shit right, that I've had yeah. to like say no you know I don't care who used to live here like you can't hunt here on my backyard anymore right like, yeah not um, allowed and then like our neighbor happens to be someone who literally feeds a fox for 15 years because <laughs> the old owner of my house shot the the husband of the like the foxes are monogamous you know so okay she shot the fox and they got in a big fight over it. And then ever since, so my neighbor's been feeding this fox who was afraid to leave the den to babies to hunt. It was a widow fox right. named Fiona. So now, uh-huh. like, um, Fiona comes every day and gets, like, chicken, <laughs> raw chicken. And it keeps her from eating my chickens, you know? Oh, uh, sure. um, uh, okay. Which is, at first I was like, you're out of your mind. Like, there's no way, like, giving this thing a taste for chicken is going to stop it from eating chicken. Like, it just, but it works. Like, she's like, I get my meal every day. I don't need to eat your chicken. So, but um, there's a million other foxes that will do that in the area. But, so now she's going to leave and Fiona's going to be starving. <laughs> and I'm going to get some asshole next to me. And... It's all messed up. Benny, so, it's so your opportunity, Benny, I think, dude. I think this is your know, opportunity man. to to come in and uh, come and in. O- for the- and the only prerequisite is that I just have to feed a fox, a widowed fox. You do, but they said they'd come and drop chicken off because I was like, oh, <laughs> they'll actually drop, drop the chicken off. What I was thinking was going to butchers and seeing, like, you know how they throw out all the like organs and stuff. Yeah, just the butchers. parts. Yeah, and that's the best parts for animals, like, like the livers and all that's the most nutritious. So maybe I can just get a whole bunch of that stuff. You might even be able to get chickens because the uh, expiration on a chicken is not going to affect a fox one bit. <laughs> that's a good point. Give me <laughs> yeah. your old ass chickens. Yeah, Give me all your old ass. Did you have a lot of moments like that where, you know, I know you, you didn't really have a background with this and basically mm-hmm. moved into a house with animals and yeah. decided to adopt them and take them on. Have you had like a lot of moments like that where you've sort of kind of realized not like the brutality of the animal kingdom, but just how like things actually work with animals and like what you have to do to manage them? It's not always pretty, right? No, and and I've certainly, um, I think we all um, uh, kind of project our human nature onto animals. You know, we always Mm. want, and you know, Disney hasn't helped that. It's like. (laughs) Yeah, you know, true. we grew up with animals wearing outfits and like hanging out and talking and being like, a, but, um, you know, we want our dogs. We talk to our dogs like little children and we want yeah, them yeah. to act like people and we want them to know all this stuff. But like, there's no better, um, lesson in the fact that animals are not people than having a farm. With, right. Like, you know, and, and being in a rural area. Um, and, um, I guess a couple circumstance a couple a couple times like well for one some people probably saw on in my instagram like a ram yeah beating the crap out of me and um, yeah i remember us us uh managing our best to try to keep the children away from that right right and the truth is it's like it doesn't want the children right it thinks i'm a ram 
Okay. You know, oh, and right. so like, yeah. right. And right. so I, I, you know, I raised that. That ram was born two weeks into me moving in the house. Um, okay. Like no idea about animals, no idea anything was even pregnant. I walked outside to like put water and there was a birth sack with a oh, baby shit. lamb sitting in front of me. And wow. I had no idea what I was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> what do I do? And then like a bunch of others started plopping out and I'm like, uh, what the hell do I do yeah. with these things? Okay. But, um, you know, the fact is, is like the more friendly you are with a Ram, the more they know you the worst because they just think you're another Ram and yeah. that's just what they do, you know? Right. So, um, and, and I actually, that thing is like, got me a whole bunch of times, like way worse than that video. And you know, if, they'll come back and do it again, you know, and the more, so like, you know, usually the best thing is to get a fence between you, Mm -hmm. um, or just turn around and and kick, put your foot up, you know what I mean? Or kick or whatever. And so in the video, I, I do that. Like he rams me, I'm totally like, kind of like flustered and I kick my foot out to avoid another hit. And of course, everyone on Instagram is like, real animal sanctuary, kicking a yeah. f- an animal. I'm like, these fuckers enjoy it. It like releases hormones when they hit their heads and things. Like they love it. Like I've seen this thing ram a, a freaking like brick wall like seven times just because it's bored. You know? <laughs> yeah, right, 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 and like, right, right. I think, I, I, trust me, I'm not abusing the animal. I'm just trying to not get my spine dislocated, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, t- I mean, he took you out. Um, now, like when you, when you went to the house, h- how <laughs> many were, how many actual animals were still left on the property by the previous owner? Well, the previous owner, um, who's a nice lady, um, you know, her, her daughter was going away to college. Um, I think, you know, the husband that she initially bought the house with and bought a lot of the animals with, they were divorced and, um, and she was getting older and had some, some, um, health issues and stuff. So the animals just at that point weren't in great shape. Oh, okay. Um, I'm not passing judgment, you know, I sure. don't know, you know, I'm sure. As you said, difficult to take care of. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, but the, yeah, the place wasn't in great shape. The animals were in great shape, but I didn't know anything about them. As far as I could tell, that was normal. You know, mm-hmm. these were animals. Everything was how it normally should be. Right. And then she asked if um, she can leave the animals there for a little bit while she got her new place sorted because she had a new place with a barn, but it wasn't ready. You know. Okay. And she's like, "Well, you know, I'll come and uh, you know, we'll we'll take care of them. We'll stop by, feed them, do all the stuff. But if you can just." And so um, our real estate lawyer is like, absolutely not. That's a liability, this, that. And me and my wife were like, absolutely, yes. You know, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, that sounds cool. Like, we can learn about animals. We yeah. get to see, watch them. They're cool. And You're like we, getting sued, whatever. Whatever. Think, I'm used to that. Yeah. But like, uh, you know, our whole thing was maybe we'll learn something and the kids get to see it. And then sure. maybe we'll get some chickens and a goat or two one day, you know? <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> right. had you had been, had you had any experience with animals prior to this? Like farm animals? No. No. I didn't even have a dog growing up. I didn't even have a dog oh, growing shit. up. shit. <laughs> so what, like what in your head? Like- Benny, Benny, you know what I had? I had a goldfish from the porn carnival. That's what I had. <laughs> Perm fish. Right. Oh, that's fucking hilarious. So she left so- these animals and, and I guess what, never came back for them? So what happened was it was like one week turned to two weeks, 
two weeks turned to three weeks, three weeks turned to four weeks. And I guess to make a long story short, it just started becoming a source of anxiety for me because I just didn't really know if she was coming, if they were being taken care of, what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing. I started just going out there and doing what I can. Then I started cleaning up. Then I started saying, oh, some of these animals have health issues. And then, But did she leave any instructions like what to feed them or when? I mean, that's... I watched. I'd go out there and be like, hey, what's going on? And I'd see what's up. And her boyfriend would come by and oh, kind of okay. do it. But he wasn't that into it. You know, I think he just did it. Right. And okay. then um, I, I kind of like, at some point, I was just like, look you're not really taking these animals anytime soon. If ever they're happy here, I feel like I just need to know if they're my responsibility or not. And she's like, all right, well, I guess we'll just leave them here. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I'd rather just accept, I'd rather just make that definitive. Yeah. Just right. know that I have to dive in. Sure. And, um, she took a few, like she came by with a truck and took like a, a few of the ones she really liked, which were okay. interesting. Cause they weren't really, necessarily like friendly ones it was like oh here i'm not i want this goat that doesn't go anywhere near anyone or the sheep that's just like weird but um and the rest she left and i was like all right i'm a farmer it's that simple (laughs) how how did that work in conjunction with like you know i know you're in a similar boat as me where you kind of went into you know kids and house (laughs) and things like that it's kind of the same time you know, Dillinger was slowing down. Right. Do you think if you were in like a full-time touring schedule that you even would have been buying a house or willing to take that on? Or did the style of life at the time kind of allow it? Well, no, I don't. I, I mean, I, um, I, I really like, technically I was, I was like single and, and, uh, childless when the decision to end Dillinger came about. Okay. So, um, I didn't really have any other form of of job. I wasn't really in another band. I, I had some side project stuff, but like the decision to end Dillinger was completely, you know, just diving in head first with no idea what was going to happen. There was no plan. So right, right. some people feel like, oh, look, he's having, he's gotten married, he has kids, sure, right. he's got a farm, so he stopped the band. But it yeah, was on actually, paper, yeah, sure, on paper, yeah, you can see it that way, yeah. But actually, it was like all those doors opened as soon as I stopped the man, you know? So, huh. um, yeah, I mean, like, I met my wife. Things moved really quickly. Um, she had a son from a previous marriage. I really became close with him. We got pregnant. I had already, you know, the band was in its last few months of final tour type of thing. And right. uh, everything climbed up. It was like... Within um, like three days of ending the band, we moved into a new home, acquired 80 farm animals. I had two kids in a marriage. <laughs> you said 80? About 80 with birds. Yeah. You're right. I, I was thinking you were talking about like a goat and two chickens. It was oh, about no. 75, 80 animals oh. or something. Yeah. So what? That's pretty serious over there, man. Tell Mini me, horses, can, alpacas. Really? Yeah. Well, like, we've gotten a lot more. I mean, so we've. I, so what I was the original? Another- Just tell me the original lineup when you took, when you, <laughs> as like this metal guitar player who'd never yeah. even had a dog, what did you originally inherit from this lady? A whole bunch of goats, a bunch of sheep, and then like a bunch of baby sheep were born literally two weeks into moving in. Okay. Just 
just dropped, you know, just like sitting there. <laughs> um, uh, turkeys, ducks, chickens, a goose that we got rid of because it was attacking the kids. Um, but when we got a new one now the other day, um, let's see, um, guinea hens, um, pigs, um, I think that's pretty much it. And then, and then we, then we, uh, uh, rescued a bunch of horses, uh, a mule, two alpacas, you know, more birds, a couple goats, um, Couple That's pigs, a lot of work, pigs. man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I gotta, you gotta tell us about. So w- when I went there, you had been sort of outfitting a prosthetic leg, yeah, for for one of your ducks. Mm-hmm. And I noticed in some of your posts that it seems to have have taken pretty successfully. I, I was pretty taken aback by the fact that you were able to even find someone who did that and and yeah. get into it. Like, can you tell us what happened with that? Well, I mean, this is actually a sad story, and I haven't told anyone really publicly yet. Um, but the other day, uh, Waddles the duck got taken by a fox. Oh no! Or a hawk? I'm not sure. Wow! Oh, I'm so gone. sorry, man. Yeah, it was tough. And, and the truth, the thing that was really hard about it was, you know, I raised it from a baby. We went yeah. through all that trouble. We got it a new leg. It was doing pretty well. The leg was a little long. We found it in the grass and rough terrain. It wasn't doing as well as it did, oh, okay. like, you know, on a hard floor. Yeah. So I just got a new foot made. That was going to be like supercharged, bionic, kick-ass foot. That was, and literally the day before it was showing up, he he was gone. Fuck. So and just from one of the wild animals, like around yeah. the property somewhere. Yeah, and it's really tough because, um, you know, I, I definitely mourn every animal that gets hurt or killed sure. or sick, and I'm getting better at it. You know, I mean. I'll never be the kind of farmer that can just like eat their bird, but right, right. You know, I mean, I certainly have gotten a little bit thicker skin, and like you sure. said, uh, I've I've learned a little bit about nature, and it's just is what sometimes it is what it is. You know, um, every time a baby bird dies, I don't give it a full funeral and bury it, and uh, right. you know, right. send send out a, a Viking ship. I, I have to, <laughs> I have to like deal with it a little more efficiently now. Um, so at first, were you like, were you like? You know, were you reading to each? Were you doing like a real, a real kind of service? Almost? Oh, dude! Every time, like something passed, like like any time, I an animal, like you know, you get baby birds. Like some of them make it, some of them don't. Whatever, right. and like you know, a, a little bird would die, and I'd feel like depressed for a week, and I'd bury it and make a grave. <laughs> like it was ridiculous, yeah. you know? It was ridiculous, and um, and my wife's a doctor, so I mean, right. She, She's had people she knows like die left and right, and I'm like, you know, I I can't handle it like a chicken, you know. So, sure. well, um, actually, kind of works perfectly into something I wanted to talk about because, you know, we're raising kids, mm-hmm. and you know, the things that you're doing and what your wife does are obviously going to give, whether they like it or not, they're going to have a bit of a, a sense of mortality, like they're going to yeah. see death. You know, it's going to mm-hmm. be part of their experience. Um, now, right. the other day, I got a press request. You know, there was a PR firm for, like, metal and hardcore bands. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking through the list. It's like, you know, 100 bands, maybe 400 faces. Mm-hmm. And I saw, like, three of them smiling. 
Yeah, you know? yeah. Like just hardcore metal press photos are the most depressing things. And even if it's some 19 <laughs> year old kid from like Randolph, New Jersey, he's still pretending to be hard in right. his photo. For sure. And, you know, like, so your kids, you know, they already have exposure to this. Uh-huh. Now, I walk around my house sometimes and I see some of the posters and I'm like, ah, this is really like dark imagery. Uh-huh. This is like really dark content. And, you know, you're in, like, fully immersed in the metal world where, like, basically what I'm asking is, are you concerned at all about, like, your kids and exposure to the culture of, like, metal and hardcore? And do you, like, censor it at all for them? Uh, man, that's a good question. Uh, you know, um, not really. Okay. Uh, honestly, I don't. Um you know, I, it's it, the only thing I, I mean, I, I could say this, like for the, um, for the animal sanctuary, we, we kind of made a logo and some, like an image for like a t-shirt and stuff. And it was pretty like satanic looking. It's like a goat head right. with like a pentagram around it. It's like the classic black metal kind of goat head sure. thing. And it says party yeah, smasher yeah. sanctuary and like black metal writing. And it, it's like fun, you know? Sure. But like, you know, of course, there are people who are going to look at that like and think that we're satanic. Yeah, when I know it's just like a pun on metal, you know, it's right. like just like a metal thing, you know, it's like, yes. and, you know, the question is how much do I care what these close-minded people think when they make judgment without actually knowing us and how much do I um, say, well, you know, it's cool is whatever. And then how much do I say, well, the truth is, it's like the pentagram is pagan and it actually was in Christianity and it's actually <laughs> right, tied right, to Satanism right. like way later. And that it wasn't originally part of Satanism, but like, it's so fucking, you know what I mean? It's like, once you can really get into the context. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as like imagery and things like that with metal and association, I mean, I don't know, man, I, I listened to deicide as a kid <laughs> right. and, uh, you know, the dude had like, apparently had a upside down cross outside of his baby's nursery, like right in the window and like had a upside down cross burned into his forehead right. and saying about Satan. And I, you know, like I never once ever, that never once affected me negatively. It was like watching a horror movie or like, you know what I mean? It sure. Was just, I don't know. So, um, so not really. <laughs> I guess to answer your question, nah. I guess yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had to think about it. I never thought about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I your, mean, kid, that, your yeah. kids are just going to think you're a dork no matter what you do, right? So it doesn't matter. Yeah. You're probably like <laughs> exactly ex- expose them to the darkest shit, and they're going to be the happiest people on earth, right? They're going to rebel oh, against. Oh, is that the okay? Totally. So overexposure to Slayer, get them a little <laughs> brujeria shirt with like yeah, a, yeah, yeah, like with the head just swinging on it. I love that. All <laughs> totally. right, I'll you know do what's it. funny? You know what? Like um. Yeah, like you said, I'm going to be a dork no matter what. My wife, who's like the fuck, you know, the Cornell Ivy League surgeon chick, is like way gnarlier than me. She partied way more than me. She like <laughs> was in sororities and got gnarly and like still like you know likes to get wild and all this shit. And me, I'm I'm the prude, boring one, you know. So right. I don't think any of that stuff really matters, you know, as long as you raise your kids right, you know. And um and and uh. Yeah, like you said, I think I think the people, the more people try to shelter their kids, the more fucked up they end up, right? So, <laughs> yeah, you got to be honest. Yeah, what about you guys? 
I just, I mean, from the get-go, I just talked to my, my first kid as like, you know, a person. I think that's the most important thing, you know? We never talk baby talk. Mm-hmm. Right, sure. And like subjects, you know, I think some of the hard subjects to, uh, have still to come up, but, you know, yeah, you just try, you got to be honest with them. Mm. And you got to show Just love. lay it out. It doesn't matter. I mean, everything, nothing else matters. Honesty and love, baby. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I do, I do get a little concerned, honestly, with, and it's just because of how, like, empathetic and sensitive of a kid I was. And there was right. something, you know, that I could see or hear that would really ring with me and really uh, stick with me for a long time. The one thing that scares me about it is, like, you know, I'm not very religious. My parents weren't very religious. And sometimes when I think about it, I imagine that my father sort of intellectualized religion out of me a bit Mm -hmm. by being so open and honest about his own feeling. And my mom was sort of so in the middle and never really made up her mind. Right. I feel like they almost like handed me their, you know, existential struggles and they Mm -hmm. just like gave them to me to continue. Um, And the one thing I worry about with stuff like that is like, you know, I'm not pro-religion, anti-religion, stuff like that. But yep. I want to give my kids, like, an open enough avenue to, like, have faith if they wanted to. You know mm. what I mean? Uh, to, you know, basically to have all these, if I'm really believing, like, a person setting their own course. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want them to be just, like, be a punk rock hardcore drummer just like me. Right. You know, I want those avenues open. and. And as much as I would like, I like a Slayer and, you know, even one of my, you know, the old Metallica, one of my favorite bands. Like, and I play that in front of my kids. My, uh, my son pretends to be Eddie from Iron Maiden, like all the time flying around. I just don't want to use a superhero, you know? Um, But yeah, I wonder if, if too much of that, you know, negative imagery or like if you just see something like that, if it's gonna, you know, basically change the course without you knowing it. That's kind of my concern, you know? Right. I don't know. I mean, it's a really good question. You know, I'm in a similar boat where, you know, I grew up in a very conservative Jewish household with my dad in education. My parents were both in education. My dad was like an intellectual and always had professors and intellectuals over. And there's a lot of discussion. Um, I mean, he he even had friends who were like um, Palestinian, like professors who were very almost anti-Israel, you know, and they'd sit right. and have really intellectual conversations. And uh, both of your parents are pra- practicing Jews? They are, but, you know, well, my mom, my mom grew up in a, a household where she only spoke Yiddish at first. Like her parents wow. were, one was Russian, one was Polish, and the only thing they could do was speak Yiddish to each other. And then she right. only spoke Yiddish and her aunts and uncles and that whole, they were all uh, killed in the Holocaust. And so, um, <clears> that <throat> she grew up with a lot of kind of survivor guilt stuff. Her mom mm. really, really felt overprotective and guilt and all this stuff. So like, you know, there was an element of, uh, like we just joked about earlier, you know, like people died for this, um, right to just freedom of religion. And then my mom comes up and, uh, has to raise a family. Yeah having really we weren't raised very strictly but there was always a little element of um you know respecting the culture at the very least so right 
um, my wife is more about the idea of like setting some structure, religious structure for them in order to like kind of teach morals and things through like Bible and things like that. And then let them make their own decision when they're old enough to know the difference. Mm -hmm. To me, I feel really kind of weird about that because I truly believe that like it's important for people to know the culture of your background. Um, and for my wife, I feel like it's, it's Cuban because of all the mm. struggles and persecution and all the things her family um, had to deal with and escaped and, and dealt with. And for me, it's, it's Judaism, which to me is more of a culture than a religion in many ways. Yeah. It's hard to explain that to people who aren't Jewish. Yes. I'm sure you can relate. Um, Yes, but yeah, you can. The thing is, is about Judaism, and something I'm proud of, very proud of, is that it's like the only religion that you can consider yourself Jewish and still not really believe in God. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's true. Like it's It's not, it's not synonymous. Like, um, well, there's also not the rules that are there. It's like if you want to do this, then you have to say this and have to do this. It's a little more, yeah, it's a little more gray area there with, with. with uh, with the Old Testament, right? It is, and it and it is cultural because I mean, there's 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 diseases that you right. know people, uh, Jewish people get, like you know, like like African Americans might get sickle cell or whatever. Like there's certain things that are bred Tay Sachs, Tay Sachs, and there's like you know those cultural things and the reality of whether you're religious or not. You know, you would have been in a concentration camp just based yeah. on your background and your exactly. So I mean, like there is some element of like it is cultural, even if you're not this really that strict about the religious and the Bible study stuff. Right. Sure. So it's a, it's a tough one. Um, so yeah, I, I feel you, man. I'm Let me ask you this. I, this is an unpopular opinion that comes up all the time when someone's like, Oh, you know, you're a white. I'm like, I'm not white. <laughs> like, yeah. Don't call me white. Like, I know. That, I know. Like, I, I like, what, how thing. do you actually I, feel about that? Cause I'm like, it's, I know it's an unpopular thing to say, and it makes no sense to people. Well, here's how I say it, because, like, this is, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's so funny because my wife and I both were married previously and had bad marriages with right. kind of dysfunctional things in both our Brad, family. why don't you sit this one out, by the way, all right? <laughs> yeah, so I don't want to offend anyone. You know? <laughs> but, you know, there's not wrong or right about this, but there is difference, you know? and. Yes. I just think in general, I try to describe it as like cultural, ethnic, ethnic and cultural kind of like families have a different kind of value system sometimes, mm, just inbred. Yeah. Um, and so. As opposed to what though? Like just your standard like white Christian kind of power structure? I think that like uh, many, many generations of American culture. Mm you know, is a little less old school, right? So it's a little less um, family values. It's a little less like, you know, you get married, you make it work. It's kind of like, eh, you know. Yeah. There's been seven divorces in my family. It's kind of normal, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to get It's not wrong or right. It's just like a little bit of a different um, situation, you know? And um, so it's like, I don't, I don't know. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, you know? it, it's the thing is, it, like, I don't know if I'm white or not. It's not like my, you know, it's not really my place to say either way. Like, I, I don't fucking know. All I know is that I'm not what people consider white. 
and I know I I'm know. not that. I, I mean, you know? I, you and are, that's I mean. where well, <laughs> well, there's that that's that that thing that like every Jewish person has to wake up and realize at some point is like you wake up one day and you realize that there are a large group of people in the world who want you hurt or dead simply because of what you are. That's true, but you also don't wear it like, you know. Of course there's, not. There's a reason why the Jews in the Holocaust had to wear a star on them because yes. they look like everybody else, you know? And so So we still get the white privilege like opt-out option we if we want it. Yeah. yeah that's true. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You know. So maybe not culturally, well maybe culturally white, but genetically not? I don't know. I mean, it's a tricky question, man. But I've had a lot of fun over the years. Just telling white people I'm not white anyway. I just enjoy what it does to the room, you know, even more than like how I feel. Yeah, I'm sure that doesn't go over very well with a bunch of black guys. Uh, Yeah, well, who've been, you know, who've been discriminated against by police and all kinds of stuff. You know, I'm sure in a a typical see now I'll call myself a white guy because in typical white guy fashion, I have never done that around a group of black guys. Well, there you go. So maybe, yeah, I guess I'm white. Shit, man. <laughs> You're totally sucks. white, bro. I don't like this, Ben. You were, I thought you were going to take me the other way. <laughs> you are a white boy. Sorry, Betty. <laughs> uh, Brad, now I'm like you. I've we never moved to Iowa together or something. What happens Brad's now? Like, Brad's like, what the hell is going on right now? <laughs> He's like, what are these? What, what are I, these didn't, I, I didn't sign up for this. So yeah, what is this? What are you speaking right now? I wanted to talk about the way you like went into like uh business on the business side of music like you know from a pretty early point you were you know uh interested in self-releasing self-promotion trying to own your own publishing you know from the get of dillinger and you know your early bands did you like sense something was wrong with the model did you hate the model like why why do you think you had a, a sort of different way of looking at that early on, especially. Well, I mean, it was, well, part of it's just coming from the underground hardcore culture, you know, right. uh, it's the, it's like the do it yourself thing by necessity. Um, mm-hmm. and obviously I had an entrepreneurial bug in me, you know, but, um, you know, at the same time, uh, Look, I guess I guess you know there wasn't a huge business upside in anyone getting involved in a band like Dillinger. Let's be real, yes, you know, at the it, time especially, yeah, for sure. It didn't seem, you know, there wasn't really a. Um, it didn't seem like a, a type of band that would generate income or, or money, real money for someone to commission. So, like, you know, right. having real lawyers and real management and all that stuff really wasn't an option, even if we wanted it. Gotcha. Um, so uh, kind of educating yourself and somebody in the band had to do it. And the ones that didn't, didn't do well. And there were a lot of bands out there that I knew that we knew that um, didn't have that guy in the band. Yeah. And, you know, they sunk because they just yeah. said, I don't know. I just want to play music. I don't care whatever you think to some manager or some major label that scooped them up for like a record and then they got dropped. Or, yeah. you know, they didn't ask questions. They didn't care. They just wanted to rock, and there's nothing wrong with that. But they typically didn't do very well, in my experience. You know, yeah, from what I saw, they didn't really, they didn't survive. Right, the, the, right. You know. Um, and did and you saw like bands you were friends with and people like that kind of 
go through that early on. Yeah. I mean, look, yeah. there was, you know, uh, I mean, I can say an example of, and, and uh, I mean this with all respect because I, I fucking get it, you know, um, you know, like that band Caven, you know, those guys, Sure, we came up together, we were playing tours. It was like Botch, Dillinger, Caven, Converge, we would all play shows yeah. together. And Great fucking even scene, though yeah. we all had slightly different takes on things, you know, there was a, a tie that, that bound us and for sure. And, and across our fan base and we all pushed each other and enjoyed each other's company and music. And then, um, you know, caving got signed to a major label and yeah. took on a big manager all right. and just kind of like really just did whatever she said. She's like, we're like, whatever you say, like, we just want to make mm -hmm. music. We don't want the old stuff. Understandably right. fair enough. And, you know, I saw a lot of decisions being made, like spend your a big advance on getting, a whole shit ton of cases with cave-in silk screened on them, you know, like, for all of your gear and like, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. spend, like take more crew members than you ever needed before for whatever reason. And, you know, cancel the botch Dillinger tour and, um, headline big rooms to look like mm. a big rock band. And then, right. you know, and kind of like alienate your current fan base before even sure. acquiring a new one, you know? Yes. Um, yes. And those are all things that, in all fairness, they they were just kind of like, look, we just want to make music. We don't want to do that stuff. That's not what we do. That's not what we signed up for. Let someone else do it. And that totally makes sense. But And theirs was coupled with kind of that true belief that they could break, though. You know, they had a... You know, they had a different sound in you guys, and I think they, yeah. they like, were under the impression that if we put out this major label record with a mm -hmm. poppy enough choruses and stuff, we can actually break into, yeah. like, a modern rock kind of world. Right. Um, and maybe they could have. I mean, look at Jimmy Eat World. Yeah, sure. You know, they um, were, like, a, like a small, like, indie kind of, like, whatever, hard, you know. Yeah. I saw them at Coney Island High with uh, Sensefield. Yeah. Yeah. They... Totally. And Mineral. Yeah. Who, who I don't know if you've listened to Mineral in a while. It's, it doesn't hold up. Okay, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's true because that what you're saying is breaking, even if they'd broken, though, that just means they're going to lose more money. <laughs> they're going to lose larger right. amounts of money. Yeah, whereas right, if right, you don't right. break, you break up, right? Because you make a lot of bad right. decisions. But I know, yeah, I know people who have, you know, who... Who have made it, and what that means uh -huh. is that just more, more people are taking and wasting more of their money. Um, Often, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's well, it was told, you know, it's, it's the same. It was the same lesson that was drilled into me as a young man. That like learn the business, and yeah, I completely ignored it, and we were all punk rock, and like <laughs> yeah. you know, and yeah, any band at any level, and pretty much in any era, really does uh -huh. need to. They need to take care of their own business, you know. Like we were lawyered up, yeah. and we were we were like, we had the at least staff. gotta know what the fuck is going. At least, on. At least, yeah. at least educate yourself. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. should be like I'm mandatory, good. like band one hundred and one. You know, like yeah, um, basic business. Make sure, make sure someone from the band is always cc'd on the email. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. bands right. for dummies. Yeah. Has anybody right, written yeah. that yet? I don't know, <laughs> Ben. Was it bands for? For dummies? Bands for dummies? Bands what do you, dummies. What do you um, think, Ben? This could be... I mean, look, I think, you know, a, a friend of mine, Jesse Cannon, I don't know if you're familiar with him, he wrote yeah, like a sure. really pretty 
in-depth DIY book kind of guy. What was his book called? Uh, I wrote the forward to it. I should know. Oh, no shit. <laughs> I didn't know Jesse wrote, wrote something about That's it. That's cool. Yeah. Um, fuck. Uh, it, it's it's uh, DIY. Uh, hold on. <laughs> I got it. Like, actually, tell you. It is oh, uh, get more fans DIY oh, okay. guide to it's the get more fans the DIY guide to new music. Cool, Jess, Jesse Cannon, old New Jersey stalwart. That's right, that's right. So, I mean, look, I, I think to to answer your question, like we didn't really have a choice; someone had to do it. Yeah. Um, and truthfully, a lot of mistakes were made, and luckily, we got through them in order to hopefully learn from them and. Well, that that being said, like, what's something you wish you you could tell yourself when you first started with like your years of accrued knowledge? Like, say you can go, you can go say what's up to Ben from Arcane, (laughs) and you could just drop like a couple things on him, like, yo, make sure you do this and don't do this. Like, what's something you could tell him? Um. All right. Well, I'll tell you. Um. There's a whole bunch, man. I I I can. I can tell you a whole shit ton. Um, a couple are, look, I, I think number one, um, no decision is going to make you or break you. Like, you know, like sometimes it's better to make the wrong decision than no decision. There okay. were so many times I like just was so controlling and so concerned with being taken advantage of that. Like I said, no to so many things. Mm. Um, merch deals and this and that, whatever that I, you know, I'd rather just keep my hands on it and, and get nothing done than right. take the chance of getting ripped off or not getting the best deal or whatever. And I would have definitely, um, you know, been a little more quicker to make decisions and make moves, uh, and just do your best and make, and make decisions, mm-hmm. um, instead of holding out, looking for the best, you know, moment to happen. I think, um, there's another thing, you know, like, and you could probably, you probably know this and I'm sure both of you can relate to this being in bands and stuff. And, um, I know gaslight anthem is, is probably really relevant, but like we, we fought the math core title for years, mm, forever. Right. Like sure. people were like, this is like, this is math core. Like, and there really didn't exist. I mean, there was like math rock and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah. There was like math metal, I guess, kind of like Mashuga, but math yeah, core Mashuga was pretty was much, it, yeah. it was pretty much us. We started that, you know? Yeah. For sure. We didn't, intentionally but that's right. what people called it because there wasn't a tight there wasn't a label and everything had to be labeled right. and of course where it was like we're not anything we're just a rock and roll band you know how like bands <laughs> always said that like yeah 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 uh-huh. we're rock and roll we're just a rock and roll band you know <laughs> whatever call it what you want we're just rock and roll we're a punk rock band no we were a fucking mathcore band like yeah and, and and if i could go back as soon as people started labeling us as mathcore i would put mathcore on every single thing we ever uh, did right. every single thing because to you know, make when, sure you were branded as like the like the uh, kings of mathcore. As much as like it's <laughs> corny to be like we're a mathcore band, like when we felt like we were just like you know some in, like avant garde heavy yeah, band, like sure. that was marketing. That was not a good marketing move because mm. like the truth is, it's like hey, if someone says you're mathcore, make sure that anytime ever that word ever comes up ever. You're the first thing that shows up. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're the math core. Because you can't avoid it anyway. So make yes. sure, just make sure that uh, that you just own it. So I, that's something I would change. Not mm. being too pretentious to just be like, yeah, well, sure, math core, right. fine. 
sure, done. Sure, you sure. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, it's 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 funny. I mean, it's hard to do at the time. You know, you're when you're inside of it, you just you're so in love with what you're doing. You're so emotionally invested. You're it's almost like uh, you're like blinded by love. You know, you're making emotional yeah. decisions r- rather sure. than rational ones. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Um, so that's a big one. I mean, look, I think another thing that, um, I would, that I learned kind of by hook or by crook and I would have owned a little earlier was, um, that it's more important for you to be honest with what you do Mm -hmm. and, and like consistent than it is to, like worry about what other people think even. So like, sure. for instance, like, you know, and, and, and that's what basically we did and that's what we're kind of known for, luckily. Yeah. But truthfully, you know, if you're honest about what you do and you do it for the right reasons and you always do it for the right reasons, then people will follow you into the fire. It doesn't matter what kind of music you make. If you add melodic content to your heavy band, if you go on tour with a band that's not cool if you like those things are less important than just being super true and honest to your art because once people know that that what you're creating is honest and you're doing for the right reasons then like they 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 just trust you whatever decision you make whatever you do they just trust you that's it no you're right you You can't they don't want to be lied to Uh, right yeah and i think you know you even brought it up and caven's a good example i i always felt if Caven didn't reject their old catalog, mm-hmm. you know, and if they were just like, yeah, we love until your heart stops. We love those yep. records. We'll still play you some songs every once in a while, but this is what we do now. You know, right. if you're along for the vibe, but it was kind of a, a total, like I turn my back and this is what we do now. You know, um, right. I felt like against me had a similar issue too, because, you know, it made total sense that they signed to a major when they did, but mm-hmm spent so many years saying that you wouldn't sign to a major and right. kind of talking bad about it that when it happened, you know, yeah. you set yourself up for a fall. Exactly. Yeah, yeah totally. that's good advice. Very good advice. Yeah, I think, like you said, yeah, I think it probably would have been more important for them to not say they'll never sign to a major and just continue right. to do do things for the right reasons and do them right and do make, you know. For sure. And, uh, and then whatever they did, it, it, you know, it's like once somebody, once people believe that, believe in your like brand mm-hmm. they'll just buy whatever you do you know For and that's sure. the ultimate way to survive as a musician is like be able to sell anything because they believe in you you know yeah. they believe in you that's right. the thing so it's like, like yeah you can so never fuck with that trust that's the totally thing. so instead yeah. of bitching about album sales not selling or this or that, whatever. It doesn't fucking matter if they believe right. in what you're doing and they're like these guys I, I, I feel I trust them. I trust yeah. them. Then you can put out a shirt. You can do whatever the hell you release. It could be a fucking. So you can always do a tour in Germany and Austria. You know, it doesn't matter. They'll always you know? be there for you. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody, nobody cares what Apple puts out. They just bought it because they believe in Steve Jobs. Yeah, I mean, it didn't have to be a computer. It didn't yeah, have yeah, to be yeah. an iPad or a deep flea player. It doesn't matter. People wait in line for it, even if it's not as good as the fucking Microsoft version or the Dell. Right, it doesn't right. matter. People just believe. They just believe in it and they buy it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, yeah. And the four and- bands just took that on, that that kind of, you know, philosophy. 
Sure. And that's still kind of the model you're doing, right? Because, I mean, you have a, a Patreon page, right, where you have a paywall and offer content. And I have to assume, like, a lion's share of these people are Dillinger fans. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So how do you find, like, um, kind of the post-Dillinger scenario for you and, um, like, the Patreon and, and things like that? Like, how's that working for you? And, and do you enjoy it? I love it. I mean, I like being able to create without the pressure of a label or anything like that. Um, I like the fact that people are buying my music, but they also know that it's helping a good cause. Yes, yes. Uh, there's something about that that's, I don't know, like, like you know, every, the question everyone's like, are you guys a nonprofit? Are you guys a 513C so that we can right. just donate to you? And the truth is, no, we're not. And are we going to become one? I don't think so. Why? Because, you know, while we can't write off all the money that I get from Patreon as a tax deduction, um, mm-hmm. it's all under my terms. Like, you know, like nobody can tell me you have one foot less of land than you're supposed to have to run a, mm-hmm. a, a nonprofit animal sanctuary and you're getting shut down they're like no these are my pets this is my place i take good care of them you know what i mean yeah my business and often when you try and do things like that it becomes much more complicated and that's what i'm Mm. learning too from my friends who have sanctuaries who are like legit animal lovers vegans put all their lives into it um it's almost like the more you publicize it and make it a mission like that, the more people mess with you, especially right. on its people, you know? So um, to me, it's like, this is my home. This is a sanctuary. This is a place where animals come. They're never eaten. They're never used for anything. They just live their lives and hopefully well. And we enjoy the peace and solitude we get from them. It's like our sanctuary more than anything, you know? Yeah. And, um, and the fact that I can now have a, a reason to create music in order to support this is just, is just great, you know? So needing to raise money to support this and having to do it through making music is just like kind of a win-win, you know, it keeps me active, keeps me creative. It's pretty awesome. Um, so the video, I, you know, I love the track. It is nothing that you put out. Super cool. Um, and the video, I found myself watching it fairly late last night and, pretty fucking tripped out uh did you did you make the video no um okay. a longtime collaborator um Ola, oleg ruse um, okay. who did a bunch of dillinger content and come came on the road with dillinger and then i brought him out with suicidal as well okay to just do live content um he's from the ukraine and um he's just like a badass hardworking kid and like you know he was doing so much with so little and I was so into that uh, That's awesome. kind of attitude of like, look, you don't need the most expensive gear to make something happen. I mean, none of us had it when we started, right? No, like, certainly not. <laughs> yeah, you're not. I'm sure you were playing on pots and pans and you're still making music. So well, it's like, I, I lived in an apartment with my mom. So I would have band practice where, you know, my drums would live at my guitar player's house. Right. And then I would come home and set up like a pillow kit. Totally. Like practice our songs and stuff to get ready for shows. Yeah. So I, there you go. You know, it's like (laughs) make it happen. Right. So, 
this kid has been doing that. And so I work with him as much as possible. And he made that for me. Cause I saw it. I was like, you know, I think people could very much imagine Ben, like in his basement stoned making this video, but <laughs> you don't get stoned. So I was watching it and I'm like, man, how do these straight edge guys, how do they just get so trippy sometimes? Like, <laughs> one of my best friends, Daryl Coco uh-huh. listens to the, stoniest slowest drudgiest music i know like stuff that puts me to sleep in two and a half minutes he's stone sober listening to these records for like 80 minutes i have no concept of how he even does it um so how much like i know you never really like x'd up and identified with straight edge but Hmm. you know i know you still are and does you know like were you ever really taken into that movement does it mean a lot to you still do you like do you like people to know that you don't, you know, use drugs and stuff? Right. So, so like, I, I, I'm definitely not straight edge. I mean, like, I, it's interesting because as I got older and got more in the business and started, it became difficult. The fact is, is that not drinking and things like that became a, um, like an obstacle for me because Mm, you know, you're trying to hang out with industry people. You're trying to get things done on managing artists. And like, if you're not sharing a drink with them, they don't trust you. It's like, you know, so that never encouraged me to do it. But, um, like I said, like if somebody was like, take a drink of this, I'll be like, sure. And I'll be like, yep, still don't like it. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's like, the point is, is like, it's not me just trying to have some kind of elitist thing, like do what you want to do, do what's good for you. It's just not for me, you know? And the truth is, is I've, I've tried smoking weed. Um, I've tried drinking a little bit with my family and at holidays and stuff now. And and that's still just not for me. It's still not for me. You know, I, I don't get anything out of it. Um, and I know plenty of people who are extremely functional, who smoke and are extremely functional and even more focused and do well on it. I know people who are the exact opposite. I don't think yes. it's a one size fits all no, situation definitely. at all. Like for me, it's always been about the con- the output, you know? So right, right. someone's inspiring me and is doing something amazing. Uh, how they got there is not important to me. Like if they mm. do drugs, if they don't do drugs, it's like, it's not important. What's important to me is, is if what they're making is inspiring and special to me. So, so whatever so, people need to use to, that's to not to my that business. Point. Yeah. Right. It's not my business. Um, sure. and, uh, I find people judging me way more than I've judged anyone else. You know, I could see that. Did, so, did you have, um, did you have much of an issue on, on with touring? I know, especially in your world, like, I know metal guys can fucking throw down hard. I've, I've For sure. Um, yeah. Like, did you ever find it uh, isolating on tour? And like, what did you do to basically entertain yourself while the while the party's getting wild? Yeah, you know, I did feel like discriminated against a little bit and left out often. Um, people assumed I wouldn't want to be invited out or right hang right. out just because I don't drink, and that sometimes was sucked. Or you were know? you designated driver quite a bit? Um, you know, when the early days when we were doing vans, everybody, nobody drank actually. Oh, okay. So, oh, good. you know, it wasn't so later we were kind of in tour buses and doing that kind of thing that everyone started okay. partying and stuff like that. So interestingly enough, um, but, uh, yeah, no, again, like I feel like I was discriminated against a little more than I would ever judge anyone else just for not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So in that respect, yeah, definitely uh, could have been sometimes a little bit lonely. 
Yeah, it's strange. It's people don't know what to do with it. They're like, you have a drink. There's a funny John Mulaney skit about that where people don't know what to do with people who don't drink at, at parties. Like, right. you want like uh, just some turnip juice or something? <laughs> yeah. Is that good for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I've seen it too because you know Brian didn't really party all those years through Gaslight and. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I I see it, but also I'm so thankful for it, uh, you know, later in life, because if he was doing what we were doing, I don't know, like you said, I don't know if our output is as strong. Um, I don't know if we're as focused, you know, um, kind of eye on the prize. So so in the in the long run, I'm I'm actually quite, quite thankful for that. Um, so I heard in one interview, you said that you don't think you could do something as important ever again as like Dillinger at their peak. Uh Um, Do you think that like, you know, Dillinger, all bands, do you think bands have a wave? Like they have a special period of time where, where all the stars kind of align and, and then you basically have to put as much output out in that time. And then that time never comes again. Do you think that's, that's a thing? Um, I mean, I think there's something magical about a time when there's no expectations, you know, when you're making a band without a fan base because nobody's, like, worrying about being a sellout or not living up to their last release or, you know, I think there's something magical about that for sure. And and there's certainly such things as sophomoritis where a second album suffers because the band is more convinced they're untouchable because of their critical acclaim than... And also the fact that they've probably been touring much more than they've been writing and being creative, which sure. is just a natural thing. Like, there's definitely an obstacle there, I think, that many artists um, suffer from, you know? Okay. But, um, yeah, there is a magic to, to that, but um, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it's not a definite thing. What do you think? I mean, kind of, you know, like I, I think if you're, you know, I think if a band has that kind of run, you know, like a band like Dillinger, I could say a band like Gaslight too had just a run of time where what you were doing just naturally just connected with people and the music and like that part of it was easy. It was almost like, yeah. here's the creation. We're confident about it. People are stoked on it. And it's just uh-huh. this sort of natural run where certain uh pretenses aren't there certain expectations aren't there like you said i do think it's possible to sustain as long as like you're not attempting to do that again like you talked about earlier if you're honest with your fans you're honest with yourself and the music you actually want to make and you're presenting it as such i think you could catch another run of lightning but you're not going to catch the same lightning, you know, like, like no matter how hard you try, you're not going to write calculating infinity again. Right. Why should you, you know? Sure. Sure. um, And I think that's where people run into problems with sustaining is, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we both know it, like you get in these, you know, you start to, before you know it, you have no expectation of it. And then you're um, paying things from it. Right. And all of a sudden, other things have expectation from it. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, yeah. oh, this is that now. And, it, uh, it, you know, um, 
And to have that kind of awareness and that clarity, like when you're inside of it is maybe nearly impossible, especially with the age that most people probably hit it, you know? Right. Right. Um, for sure. See, so yeah, I, I do. I think you were right in saying that for sure. Um, interesting. Yeah. So we got to talk about you breaking your entire body at least like once. <laughs> um, so, you know, I remember the first time I saw you really, really go after someone was at uh, Matt, Matt Levitin's benefit show at Manville Elks. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, I remember we, you know, it was the first time we had set up sort of a significant stage on the other side of the room. Uh-huh. And, you know, of course, me and like 11 other local drummers are all on stage staring at Chris wondering what the fuck he is doing as, um, as they did. Yeah. Yeah. At the time we're just all watching like, uh, okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I guess that happens now. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. But like, I remember, you know, that was the first time I saw you kind of run out, you know, stab someone in the stomach with your headstock. And, you know, <laughs> at the time, the only bands I'd seen, you know, I'd seen botch use some lights, uh-huh. uh, which, you know, was intense. I'd seen dead guy kind of, yep go nuts but never really like you know get physical with the audience like that right. um like what was the what was the impetus at the beginning like like how did how did that even start man <sighs> i mean that's a good question uh, you know that that has been a um no I, I actually found a little notebook of a little journal i was writing on the road uh uh-huh. recently and i had written something about i i we had played a show uh in chicago and uh actually mastodon was opening up for us at the oh, time. Wow. yeah it was a long time ago and um at the end of the show i threw my guitar i was so pumped it was a sold out show it's big place i was just hyped and at the end of the show i took my guitar and just bashed it out of just pure just I don't know emotional energy. I I just took my guitar and, and bashed good emotion, good emotional energy. Yeah, know? it was. Yeah, I was okay. just fucking fired up, man. Yeah, and yeah. I bashed sure. my guitar and decided it would be cool if I threw it over the crowd and finished <laughs> exploding it on the back wall of the club. <laughs> like somehow, I don't know how I thought this was a good idea, or, or if I thought at all. But like right. it's just and. I and it was a big, you know, it was a decent play size play, so it wasn't like you know, it wasn't that likely it was going to make it, you know, right, 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 <laughs> actually. And um, <laughs> we had also just released this EP with Mike Patton, yeah. So yes. there was a whole new group of people coming to our shows that were not, and that was a big part of like the elevation of our size clubs and things like that, like right, sure, being exposed to the Mike Patton crowd all of a sudden, you know, it's ex- ex- kind of brought us made us bigger than the band we were when we were touring with like Cave-In and Conversion and all right. that stuff. All of a sudden but the we Faith kind of, No More audience has never seen yeah, all of a, someone right, do all of a sudden that. We had like shows, a Faith yeah. No More bungle. Like, yeah, like, like so there was now this mix of like girls that would have never been there who are Patton fans and, right. you know, uh, like just, yeah, like you said, like a Faith No More crowd or fanatics of Patton that had never been in a VFW hall like with no stage. Right, to <laughs> right. Feet, right. And, looking out for mosh pits and stuff like that. So um, I 
you remember that I guess I, I you know, I threw my brass my guitar, I chucked it, I went downstairs, I was just pacing all pumped, and our tour manager, kind of manager, best friend, sixth member Tom. Right. Uh, yeah. Obviously, you might remember. Sure. Walks downstairs and goes, I think we just killed somebody. And he was nice enough to say we when really. Was <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Not really. Yeah. That That's just showed how. Solidarity. Like, yeah. He was, you know, sure. like, it's like, you know, we're all in this together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Good for him. You know, so I think we just killed someone. And I'm like, what? He's like, there's a girl laying in a pile of blood oh, um, out God. there. And um, so I. Uh, I was like, oh my God. And I run out there and I see her laying there and the club people are around her and her two dude friends that are with her are staring at me like they're going to murder me. Yeah. You know? right. And I'm just like, uh, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I never meant that. I didn't mean that, blah, blah, blah. And she's like super scared because she's laying, you know, her head. She has a yeah, head sure. injury. She's laying down. There's a lot of blood. And she's like, there is one thing you can do as she's like in tears. Can you introduce me to Mike Patton? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said, I mean, I, I can try, but <laughs> I said, in the meantime, like we got to help you, you know, what's yeah, going on. And, cool. and so anyway, she paramedics took her away and this and that. And I, I could not sleep, man. I was like laying up all night. I was right. like, is this why I started this band? Like to fucking hurt people. Yeah, right. You know, but at the same time, when I don't do that, people want their fucking money back. They're like, that's not the Dillinger I know. Yeah, right. You know right, what I mean? Right. And I found myself in this conflict of like where it started as this kind of free, uninhibited form of expression when you're playing in front of three people don't give a shit about you. Yeah. As like a venting thing in between, you know, on the weekends after class or work or something turned into a career of like people expecting you to be violent and stuff like that. But at the same right, time, right like putting you in this position where people are getting hurt and that wasn't the intention of your band. You sure. Know? Sure. It's like so, watching that 60 year old drummer from the murder junkies, like stick a drumstick up his ass still. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I don't know what his intention was. But, uh, <laughs> well, it's the same thing. He's like, I think people will expect this now. So I better <laughs> put a stick up my ass every show. Yeah. I need to going. put sticks yeah. up my ass now. Yeah. So what did you find in that journal? That was like, that well, was illuminating I, I had written you. a whole thing about like how, I never intended to do this to hurt people, you know, right, but at the yeah. same time, it's become synonymous with Dillinger, you know, like sure, sure. the violence, the in your face, the inclusiveness, the like, um, like I said, free uninhibited expression between you and the crowd and like yeah, yeah. the feeling of danger and unpredictability that really, I think, you know, all of us who had, like you and me and, and like both you guys that had grown up hearing stories about the, the first days of punk rock and hardcore and the danger and the predictability is like, we all kind of missed out on and we felt like we didn't get that. By the time we started doing it, everyone was just preaching about politics or Krishna yes, or religion. Yeah. Nobody was actually seeing something that had never happened before. Sure. So that's really what Dillinger was about for me. And it's interesting. Um, but it turned into people getting hurt. And including yourself, including myself, but it was, I didn't care about myself. I cared right. about these people who just, you know, the few people that were there and who, who didn't want that or like, it was very conflicting for me. It was very sure. conflicting. I wanted to just quit the band. I didn't know what to do. Um, I'd written about like how, you know, being successful has been a burden 
mm-hmm. and the expectations um, have created a scenario where like you can only go down, you know? Right. <laughs> like, sure. and, uh, was and it it's, kinda, it's interesting. Was it kind of nice? Like when Greg came in, did you ever feel like, Oh, I don't have to do something at this show. Cause Greg's going to do something. Or did <laughs> you guys just like kind of ramp each other up? Oh, we definitely ramped each other up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's quite the athlete, you know. Yeah, we definitely ramped each other up. I think um, I, I will tell you the story about Greg when he first joined the band. Um, we, uh, it was like his first real U.S. tour with us, and you know, he was still kind of not really, he hadn't hurt himself. He hadn't, you know what I mean? He hadn't really been in danger himself. You know, he was still in the stage of like, I'm the front man. I got the mic. People move out of the way, you know? Right, right, right. Um, Dillinger rookie. (laughs) Right. Totally. And we were in Las Vegas actually playing this like hall. And, uh, right before we went on, he goes, one of these days, you're going to knock my fucking teeth out. (laughs) literally and then we kick into the first song which was the mullet burden and i zig he zags i turn around and swing the guitar he turns around like literally we just turned into each other smacks his teeth cut broke his tooth in half literally and and whole mouth is bleeding his lip is ripped blood everywhere and called it yeah dude it was like what so um he um he the song ends like right after that happens and he turns around and he's holding his face and he's shaking like totally scared he had he, oh, wow. at this point he didn't realize he's not made of glass yet like i like, yeah, like right. i had already i had already realized that like, <laughs> right you know what i mean like i hurt yeah. myself every fucking day and life goes on you know he still hadn't realized that there's only people like two people who end up realizing that people in dillinger and and fighters you know like, <laughs> you know like you can get a black eye you can knock yeah. your teeth you can cut your head open you can get a concussion and and you can you're not you're not dead you know yeah. like yeah you still play so tomorrow yeah. you gotta go on right yeah. so and he still hadn't experienced that yet and so um you know sure he lifted a lot of weights but he had never you know he had <laughs> right. been a usc fighter or had never been in a band like dillinger you know so yeah, sure um he uh he looked at me he turned around he looked at me we we're both facing the drums and he's holding his mouth and looking at his handful of blood and shaking he's like what do i do oh my god the show's over oh my god what do i do what do i do and i was like greg you shut the fuck up you turn <laughs> around and you finish this fucking show <laughs> and i saw his face kind of change like dude ben right. wyman just fucking like just it just showed so <laughs> like he just fucking told me what's up yeah and i need to fucking stop being a pussy right now and um and he like i saw his face change i saw it go from scared to like i'm a fucking warrior like i'm a goddamn (laughs) like this is some shit this is like i am braveheart right now you know what i mean like yeah this is fucking rad this crowd is gonna see a dude covered in blood and it's gonna be rad you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. so i he went from shaking to like he cook his hand and started rubbing the blood all over his face and his shirt. And he turned around and looked horrifying and fucking gave the best show of his life. And that's when you know? Greg was born. The new and Greg literally, was born. No, that was the day he was real. He was, he was Dillinger's skateboard. That's fucking that awesome. 
Uh, Ben, there couldn't be a better place than that to finish, I think. Yeah. That's great, man. Well, I wanted to just add, just to finish, uh, you know, usually I've been starting the interviews with this, but like, you know, we are in a quarantine um, and all this shit is going on. Sure. Is there uh, anything, you know, you're using on a on a day to day basis to kind of keep your head around this in a good way, and you know I know your your wife's kind of in the line of fire. So how how you doing with all this? And and you got any anything to say to the to the people out there who might be struggling with it? Man, you know it's tough. I I, um, I think that there's a lot of questions about what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing, what the best. Uh, way forward is what to believe, what information is accurate and what isn't. But ultimately, I think the one thing we can get out of this is that for once, this world is all kind of like in one place and we all have something in common. And um, in general, I think um, one way or another, we're all going to get through this and uh, and learn a lot from it. And, and um, so I think um, I really appreciate all the people that are making the best of it who are trying to stay positive, who are doing things like you guys doing these podcasts and talking to people and staying creative. And, um, I just am super pumped on all the creative people out there that are helping everyone get through this by creating content and reaching out and making songs and doing podcasts. I I think that's rad. So thank you guys for, thank you guys for doing it. Well, thank you, Ben. And thanks for doing everything you do, making great music, being a good person and taking care of all them animals. You're a good man. I look forward to seeing you again. Good speaking with you guys. <laughs> ah, good interview, Ben. Smart guy. You know, um, funny story. I'll keep it brief, but my brother was a brewmaster for a while. Okay. And he was kind of a sweat equity partner with these two guys who had put up the money. And one of the guys decided, like, <laughs> let's put in a petting zoo. <laughs> let's put in a petting zoo at the brewery so when people come for tours, they can take their kids out back. And this guy just really wanted to have a bunch of animals. Yeah. That wasn't, it wasn't like a business decision to draw people. He wanted to, an excuse to take more of the company money and put it into animals. And the last thing I want to do when I'm letting people pet animals is get drunk. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's when they just get the worst. It's like a bunch of six-year-olds mismanaging animals, you know? Anyway. But, um... Feel bad for that goat. I I was thinking about that the whole interview was the, uh... (laughs) The brew petting zoo. (laughs) Well, Ben is pretty cool. I've always, uh... I've really had a lot of respect. I know he wouldn't give himself too many compliments in the interview, but I have always really respected the way that he went about his business, you know, outside C companies to do distribution and things like that. If you have the avenue to own your masters and you have the avenue to self-record and license and self-release and do other things, like it's really smart to do it, especially coming into the streaming age when, Literally, the only capital at this point is the ownership of the masters. Yeah. So I think that, you know, he's a little ahead of his time in that way, and people should take a cue from it. And I also think his um, path after Dillinger Escape Plan, you know, setting up this Patreon account, being very connected with his fans, uh, taking money directly to, 
you know, fund the songs he's doing. And not only that, but to fund the animal sanctuary itself. And you're finding a really interesting way to, to keep something independent and keep something his. Uh, and also, again, which is probably going to be sort of the, the preliminary roadmap for the future of how bands are going to monetize themselves independently because of the loss of physical music and the fact that we're never going to get paid a good amount from streams. So I think there's a, a lot to learn about that. And I think we learned a little something, didn't we? Because because <laughs> is there a Patreon in our future, Brad? Oh yeah, we're going to launch it this week. I promise. I've been Woo! saying that, but I've got the content together. I've got the ideas. So um, if you want to support us, and um, I just want to also thank everybody who's been giving us Venmo cash. That's yeah. amazing, and it's it's, been and it's being used for sure. And yeah. um, but we have had sort of a clamoring for Patreon. So I am not going to argue with you if you want to give us money. Um, patreon.com slash going off track and it should be up this week um, I don't know if it'll be up by the time you hear this but we are going to get it up this week and we'll have two tiers hopefully they'll be affordable we'll have some bonus content on there we're going to eventually start doing like some mini pods just for the Patreon um, but we'll we'll try and do some video um, but there's a, there'll be a bunch of stuff go to the page check it out if you can give that's great if not you can always throw us a tip on Venmo and, uh, you know, give us reviews on iTunes and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We need more followers uh, <laughs> going off track, Instagram and Twitter. Um, that's my spiel. Need that social capital, baby. Yeah, we need it. <laughs> no, I really do. I appreciate anybody who wants to fund the show. As you've noticed, you know, we're, we're not funded by anybody else. We're not part of a podcast network. We've run very minimal ads if you want to support, it'll go a long way. And if you also have any ideas for, you know, what cool extra content or a, or a chat or something like that that actually makes this stuff worthwhile, you know, throw a message our way. We're not, we're not the masters. We're a couple old men trying to get our, get our finger on the pulse here. So if you have, uh, you know, some better ideas than us, we're always welcome to hear them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So thanks for that. Thanks, Ben. We got some socials. He's Ben Wyman on Instagram. His uh, manager page is uh, at Party Smasher Inc. And then uh, on Twitter, he's not on, but Dillinger Escape Plan still has a Twitter. It's all caps, T-D-E-P underscore. Uh, I know, you know, sometimes the going off track audience might not be a metal or, you know, uh, a heavy music audience. I have no idea, honestly, but if you haven't, checked out dillinger and if you haven't really gotten into it i mean it's a ride man and that band well brought things to another fucking level yeah i'm not and metal. by any means a math rock guy and or math core or anything with the word right, math, math in core, it right, right. <laughs> but i i do i like i like dillinger they're, they're like the only band that ha- has been branded with that term that i would listen to i yeah. don't find their timings to be obnoxious put it that way yeah, I, mean, I just don't even know what they are. That's why I like <laughs> Dillinger. I just listen to it, and it's like watching, uh, like you know, like a three-hour-long movie. I'm just like, you know what? I have no idea how they put this together, but I'm lost, <laughs> and I don't want to know. Uh, but I, I appreciate it so much, and um, especially their early records with with Chris Penny on drums. Right. I literally saw that guy do a drum clinic, playing parts of Calculating Infinity 
slower than they are on the record, so you can actually see what the fuck he's doing. Oh, really? And I'm like, you're at half speed, and I still can't do this. <laughs> I don't even know what it is you're doing. And when I was joking with Ben, you know, I remember specifically at the Manville Elks Benefit Show in, you know, uh, early 96, they played, and I, you know, was on stage. It was my show, so I got to go on stage, and I'm planted up behind Chris Penny, just like, all right, I'm going to watch him drum. And I looked to my left and my right, and there's just like 11 local drummers just like <laughs> sitting in the back by the monitors. Taking notes. Just just like <laughs> with this confused look on our face, just like, goodness gracious. All right. We all got to do more because right. this is putting us in a in a bad box. Right. You know, I could barely do a triplet then. Fuck. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So thanks to Chris for for getting me better at my flams. Nice. And thanks to Ben for coming on. Uh, I'll be going there every year to feed his goats a Christmas tree. Sweet. And uh, hopefully we can reassess. But thanks to everyone. Appreciate it. And next week's guest, ah, Golden. Yeah. Classic. It's going to be a classic. Classic. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you soon. Bye. <laughs>